Good morning. Let's go to Acts chapter 28 together. Acts chapter 28. Thank you, Pastor Fury, for the opportunity to be with you today. Thank you for the accommodations, the goodies basket, and your kindness. And of course, uh, thank you as well for uh, your support and prayers these past several years. And also been blessed this morning by uh, the music. My heart is full, and I trust that the Lord will continue to minister through our hearts, not through a person, but rather through his word, through God's word as his Holy Spirit uses it in each of our lives. Acts chapter 28, and let's be getting reading in verse number one, and we will read down through verse number 10. I want to make it clear from the get-go that if Christ is your life, you have a life that is worth the living for every second. If you have come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you, he is your life, you, the life you now live in the flesh, you live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, Galatians chapter 2, 20, chapter 2 and verse 20, you are invited to the abundant Christian life. I don't know about you, but I would want nothing else but to be a Christian. What would we, what, what, where would we go but to the Lord, right? We have him. He is our Savior. And also, I want us to understand today, as we look at Acts chapter 28, that not only does he save us, but also he wants to use each and every one of us. If you're here today and you have never yet trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he wants to save you and he wants to change your life. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to give you forgiveness of sins. But when he saves you, he gives your life a significance, a meaning that you, will, you could never find anywhere else. Acts chapter 28, in beginning in verse number one. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. Today the name would be Malta. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. For they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live." And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief men of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously." And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flu, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be our teacher this morning. I pray that you would use this passage of Scripture and apply it to each of our hearts so that we would know as we leave what you expect of us in light of this passage. We in our flesh do not have the ability to put into practice this passage, but through the indwelling Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me, help each of us who are saved, uh, to live our lives in a way that is worthy of the great sacrifice that Christ paid for us, worthy of the Savior we serve, and worthy of the eternal destiny to which we look forward. 
I pray that if there are some today who to, the, to this moment have never received the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, I pray that today that they would understand what Christ has done for them they would, and that they would come to Christ. Now, whatever you have purpose to do in each of our hearts, I pray that you would do it. Help me to get out of the way so that you would have all the glory for anything that you do and that as your spirit communicates your inspired word and applies it to each of our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are currently in the most important place that you will ever be. God may someday ask you to do something different, but never has God taken one of his children and asked them to do something more important. Uh, how many of you would, were saved when you were children? Anybody was saved before the age of, say, the age of 18? I was saved when I was five years old, and I still remember my Sunday school teacher. Uh, her name was Mrs. Lavois. I still remember she had my entire childhood. She never changed her pencil. I don't know why she did that. She had an orange click pencil, and her, my entire childhood, from my earliest recollections all the way up through my teenage years, Mrs. Lavois was faithful every Sunday with that same orange. Now, I think that orange pencil wrote down a few bad things I did and told my parents, but that's another thing. She was faithful my entire childhood. But God did not necessarily give her fame. He did not give her a name that people recognized, but she was faithful. I'm thankful for what she did. God is wanting to use your life today. Not because you're special, but because he's great. Because he is worthy, because he is wonderful, and he wants to use your life. And he wants to use it starting today. He wants to, today God gives you something that he has for you, and it's something that maybe people notice, maybe they don't, but if you'll do it for his glory, he will use it. Let me share with you my favorite missionary story of all time. It's not about Hudson Taylor, it's not about Adoniram Judson and some of the famous missionaries. It's about a lady named Svea Flood, F-L-O-O-D is how you spell her name. Now, possibly the reason why I like this story so much is because the Flood family left Sweden in Northern Europe. Now, my mother is Swedish. I mean, if my mom were to call me right now, we'd be speaking in Swedish to each other. I have Swedish citizenship by birth on top of Canadian. I like Sweden because of my roots. But the Flood family were Swedish, and they left Sweden in 1921 to head down to the Belgian Congo in Africa. And their desire was to find a village where no one had ever gone to preach the gospel. They wanted to be the first to preach the gospel in a particular place. So they head down to the Belgian Congo, and back in those days, missionaries used to stay on compounds. They would have like a, basically a village for missionaries where they would have uh, a school, they would have residences, perhaps some medical care, and they could all live together on this missionary compound. Well, the, the floods arrive on the missionary compound, and they made friends with another Swedish family named the Ericsson family. And they're praying together, and they're saying, Lord, would you please show us a village where Christ has never been named yet, where no one has ever gone? So finally, they settle on this little village called Endolera, N-apostrophe-D-O-L-E-R-A. And they want to go to Endolera to preach the gospel. They get there, but if you're familiar with African culture, you can't really go into a village without the chief's permission. You have to get the chief's permission first before you go and do anything in the village. So they go to the chief and they ask for his permission to go into the village and start a church or to preach or to do things. And the village, uh, the village chief says, absolutely not. The door is shut. So 
Rather than give up, they decide to just live nearby and wait for an open door. There was a hill near the town of Endalera, and they built two huts on this hill. They began just making a garden, farming on a miniature scale, and just living off the land, and they're praying, Lord, would you please open uh, a door? Would you please help us to find a way into the village of Endalera so we can go in there and preach the gospel? However, as they were praying, nothing seemed to be happening. Days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, they're praying, there is no door opening, nothing is happening, and finally the Erickson family quits. They said, we're done, this is not going to work, and they head back to the mission compound, leaving just the Flood family. During this time, Mrs. Flood uh, became pregnant. She was expecting a child, but they continued to, to live on that hill and just farm or garden and wait for God to open a door. The only person that they got to talk to was a 12-year-old boy. Every week, this 12-year-old boy would come out of the village, come up the hill, and he would sell them a chicken and he would sell them some eggs. Every week he would come and he would sell them chicken and eggs. And Svea Flood, Mrs. Flood said, if this is the only African that I ever get to reach for Christ, I will give him the gospel. And the little boy makes a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. But shortly thereafter, as Mrs. Flood uh, was giving birth to a baby girl, things did not go well. And Svea Flood went home to be with the Lord. She died. David Flood, her husband, got a shovel, began to dig a very rough grave. With anger in his heart, he buried his wife. He made a little white cross as a grave marker. On that little white cross, he wrote Svea Flood. He took the baby, headed back to the mission compound, found the Erickson family who had left them earlier, gave them the baby, and said the unthinkable. He says, I don't want this child. I don't want this baby. You keep it. I am going back to Sweden. And this was a big mistake. And he got very bitter at God over the death of his wife. The Erickson family now have this child, and they couldn't keep it. So eventually, the child was placed in the hands of an American missionary family. And they took the baby with them back to America, ended up adopting, her, adopting the baby, and they changed her name to something a little bit more American. They called her Aggie. They stayed in America, became a pastor there. So Aggie, born in Africa to Svea Flood, has now been adopted into an American pastor's family, grows up in that pastor's home, and eventually marries a young man going to the ministry. Her husband by, becomes a Bible college president, and one day she picks up her mail. She opens her mailbox. She sees a magazine. She has no idea what it's saying because it's all in Swedish. She has no idea who sent the thing. She doesn't know why it came to her, and she's reading this magazine. Well, no, just looking at the pictures, but there's one picture that arrested her attention. It was a picture of a little white cross somewhere in Africa, and on that white cross was the name Svea Flood. She knew 
that that white cross was the grave marker of her biological mother. She can't read the article, so she zooms over to the Bible college where her husband is working, and she finds a faculty member who can translate from Swedish to English. She gives her the magazines. I, I want to know what this article says. You have to translate this for me. So he takes the magazine and begins to translate it into English. And the story goes as follows. Many years ago in the 1920s, Swedish missionary families went to the Belgian Congo. Two families went over to the town of Endolera to try and preach the gospel. One of the families quit and disappeared. Another family stayed for a while, but after a baby was born, the wife died, and shortly thereafter, all the Europeans disappeared from the area. But before she died... The lady, Mrs. Svia Flood, led a 12-year-old boy to the Lord who used to come every week to sell chicken and eggs. After she died, that little boy went back into his village and he began telling people about Jesus Christ. And one person got saved. And a second person got saved. And another person got saved. And before long, they had a Christian school in Indalera. And a church was planted in Indalera. And then people from Vendelaria began going to other areas. And they began telling the God, giving the gospel in this town, and people got saved here. And then people got saved in this other area over here. And more people got saved over there. And before you knew it, there were thousands of Christians in this area that were saved, all because Mrs. Svea Flood had given the gospel to one 12-year-old boy. Aggie, her daughter, is weeping as she hears the translation of her mother's spiritual legacy. She tells her husband, and the husband says, we have to go over to Africa, we have to go see this. So they, they, they travel, and they had a layover in London, England. While they're there, there's this huge pastor's conference or Christian conference in London, England, and they go to one of the services, and wouldn't you know it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an African pastor who's preaching. They go to him after the service. Now, has this ever happened to you? Maybe you were in the States somewhere and uh, somebody found out you're from Canada and they ask you if you know Bob from Canada. Has that ever happened? Yeah, it happens to me sometimes. So they go up to him and they, you know, they say, we, want to, we, we, we know Africa is a big place and we understand that you probably don't know everyone in Africa, obviously, but we're going to take a chance. Would the town Endolera mean anything to you? And does the name Svia Flood mean anything to you? The African preacher stops, dead in his tracks. He says, Endolera? I'm from Endolera. And as for Svia Flood, when I was a 12-year-old boy, I used to go and sell her eggs and chicken, and she led me to Christ. He says, you're her daughter? You need to know that to this day, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians who actually see your, the anniversary of your mom's death as a sort of holiday of sorts because they praise God that she came with the gospel. He says, you got to come to Africa. you got to see this. So they traveled to Endolera, and they had a little service over by Svea Flood's grave where the preacher preached from John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. I tell you that story for this reason. You will never be given something more important to do for Christ than he has given you today. 
Praise God for all the nursery workers. Praise God for all the Sunday school teachers. Praise God for everybody who helps in a church kitchen. Praise God for all those who run the sound. Praise God for all those who clean the premises. Praise God for, for anyone who will do anything that God calls them to do. Let, let's just be honest. If you had a missionary go over to Africa and in their whole, everything they ever did in Africa, the only thing they ever wrote back was one 12 year old boy got saved. If that was all, many of us would think they failed. But not in the eyes of God. Anything you do for Christ matters. Now look at Acts chapter 28. We just read it together earlier. And the Apostle Paul is here on the island of Malta. He doesn't really want to be there. To be honest with you, he wants to be in Rome. He, he had appealed to Caesar. He's on his way to Rome, the New York City, if you will, of his day, or the London, or the Paris, or Tokyo, whatever, big city of his day. That's where he wants to be. He had said in Romans chapter 1 that he, had, he wanted to go to Rome and preach the gospel there. Now, he's on his way to Rome, and of course, they have this storm comes, they go shipwrecked, and now he's stuck in Malta. Have you ever been in a place in life where you didn't really want to be there? Something happened, unforeseen, unplanned, and you're in this situation and you're asking the Lord, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why am I here? God has you there for a purpose. The Apostle Paul is sitting there and he's on a log, probably sitting there. The, the, the people of the island had made this big fire, we read about it, that's raining. It's cold, and he's sitting there, and then he looks around, and he realizes that they need wood for the fire. What does the Apostle Paul do? Now, the Apostle Paul is known for Lord using him for many epistles of the New Testament, for planting many churches, but the great Apostle Paul gets up, and he begins verse number three. It says, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. So he grabs sticks and he throws them on the fire. This viper jumps out of the fire and bites him in the hand. Now, if that had been me instead of Paul, that would have been the end of the book of Acts right there. And the viper fastened on Eric Levier's hand. He passed out the end. That would have been it. Romans chapter one. That's how it would have gone. I don't do really well with serpents, snakes, and vipers. But he shakes it off, it falls into the fire, and people begin staring at him. I want you to notice, first of all, that we need to be involved, period. God has given you something that you can do, something that is important to him, and something that God can use so that people around you will come to know Christ. Now, you may look at that responsibility, you may look at that ministry, you may look at that place of service and think, well, that is small. Well, let's look here what it says. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, you can't get much smaller than that. Picking up branches off the ground, there's not a lot of tasks that you could say are more menial than that. But as we're going to see, if Paul doesn't pick up the sticks and throw them on the fire, nobody's going to get saved in Malta. The reason why people eventually there will hear of Christ is because he picked up the sticks. Because he was willing to do something that in the eyes of men would be insignificant and small, but he was involved. I want you to notice as we are involved that people are going to watch you. 
people are going to watch you. Just a few Sunday mornings ago, uh, Daniel and I were getting into the car, and we were about to leave for church on Sunday morning when I saw my neighbor who was across the street talking to someone. He's he's from Algeria. He's Muslim. He calls me the prophet. He says I'm the street prophet. But anyway, he's not saved yet. So he's talking to the other neighbor, and he's... They're whispering about me as we're putting our stuff into the car. And she walks over to me and she says, sir, because I was wearing a tie, she says, are you a witness? And I'm thinking, well, I'm not a Jehovah's witness, but I am a witness of Jehovah, if that will help. No, that wasn't it. She kind of backed off and went back to her house, didn't want to continue the conversation. But people are watching. See, the neighbors know when you go to church. The neighbors know when you're serving the Lord. The, neighbor, the people know. And they're watching. They're, they're watching Paul, and they're observing him, and the first thing they conclude about him is that he was a murderer, verse number four. No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. So they they got part of it right, because Paul was a murderer. They, you know, they, they weren't entirely wrong. Now, they were superstitious. They thought that, okay, well, the storm, he escaped the sea, but fate, as you and I might call it in modern lingo, has caught up to him because he's a murderer while this happened and now he's going to die. Well, it's true that he had been a murderer. At least he'd been, uh, he had been participating in the murder of Stephen in the book of Acts. But they're observing him, and when nothing happens to him, they go to their next superstitious pagan conclusion. Well, if he's not a murderer and he survived this, then he must be a god. Well, I, I see, I have a hard time following their logic, but I don't know. They, again, they, they were not right, but it's not that he is a god, but it's that he has a god. They just got the verb wrong. He has a god. But we need to be involved, and people will draw conclusions about you. Don't underestimate the power of just being faithful. Just being faithful. Svea Flood, why why do I even tell her story? Because she was faithful. When she saw one child who needed Jesus Christ as his Savior, she opened her mouth and she said, if this is the only African that I ever get to lead to Christ, I will give him the gospel. And the rest is history, as they say. The Apostle Paul, he's in Malta. He's sitting. He, what am I going to do? I'm just, it's cold. I'm just going to get up, pick up sticks, and throw them in the fire. But we can all be involved. There's something that you can do. But notice, secondly, in verses 7 and 8, that as you are faithful, God is going to multiply that. When you are faithful, God is going to multiply that. In the same quarters, verse 7, were possessions of the chief man of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flu, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Paul is faithful at what he can do, and because he's faithful at that, now God is going to set in motion a series of events that now he is in the house of the chief man of the island. But don't, please don't lose this thought. If he doesn't pick up the sticks, he never gets to meet Publius. If he's not faithful in the, that which is least, he won't get to be faithful in that which is much. 
If you're not faithful to what God has given you today, well, those opportunities are not going to multiply. God is going to multiply when we are faithful. So Paul shakes the viper off. People just stare. They expect him to drop dead. He doesn't. So now he gets this opportunity to go and meet the chief man of the island, Publius. This is a unique opportunity for him. He gets to have an influence right at the top of the island. But this is the principle of Luke chapter 16 and verse number 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. What God has given you to do, brother or sister in Christ, is every bit as important as anything God could ever ask you to do. Teaching Sunday school at Bethel Baptist Church is every bit as important as becoming a missionary to Africa or to Asia. God loves people in Simcoe as much as he loves people anywhere else. What God has given you to do is as important as what God has given me to do. And what God has given me to do is as important as what God has given you or anyone else to do. Everything we get to do for him is important. And as was sung so beautifully already today, he's worthy. He is worthy of our all. But he's not just worthy of our all, he's also worthy of our small. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm going to do great things for God someday. Well, let's start by doing small things for God. Now, what would that look like in your life? Handing out a tract to someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ? Baking cookies for the neighbor, making sure that this person, go, you know, helping uh, elderly people get the groceries. I don't know what it would look like practically, but you say, well, that's not something big. Well, it's something for God. Anything that's done for God is big. God is worthy of our all, but sometimes we think that what's small doesn't matter. No, if he's worthy of your all, he's also worthy of your small. And in that case, everything matters. We sing it sometimes, in the harvest field now ripened, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest, calling you. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Doesn't say he has to be impressive, he just has to be faithful. It doesn't even say he has to be really talented, he just has to be faithful. I appreciate that the Lord put the bar where each Christian can reach it. Everyone can be faithful. Now, not everyone's going to have their biography written, and that's a good thing. Not everybody can be noticed, and that's a good thing. He gets all of the glory. But we can all be faithful. We can all be faithful. What makes Acts 28 special to me is very simple. The Apostle Paul was faithful. Because he was faithful, God used him in a way that if the Apostle Paul had tried to devise a strategy or tried to devise a plan, it would have fallen short of the simplicity of just being faithful. I'm all for planning. I'm all for strategies appropriately within the parameters of what, of what God has called us. But here he was just faithful. Now maybe just a parenthesis here. You might be reading that and saying, well, 
I don't see the apostle Paul um, preaching. He's just going around. He healed the father and he healed people. Well, in the New Testament, when they were healing, it was in order to corroborate God's word that was being preached. If there's no preaching, there was no real reason to have healing either. So the very fact that he's going around Malta and that these things are happening indicates to me that God is corroborating something. And that something is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is going around and he, of the island and it's being shown that he is a minister of God and that he is preaching the message of God and God is accompanying that with the, these signs. But I want us to notice thirdly that wherever we're placed, we're there to serve God. Wherever we're placed, we're there to serve God. Look at verse number nine. So then this was done. Others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. So Paul gets to reach pretty much the entire island of Malta. That's pretty impressive. That is a working of God. But how did it start? It started just with being faithful, faithful at something small. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the message, God has a purpose for you. And even the mundane, everyday things of your life, God can use them for his glory. However, you'll never find the purpose of your life. You will never find satisfaction in this life if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. He created you, but he created you for his glory. And he saved you for his glory. And the only way to be useful to God is to become his child. Have you ever received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? This last year, last year we bought a brand new dishwasher and put the dishwasher in, install it, and guess what? About, what, two months in, it had these error messages flashing, and I'm Googling, and finally they send this repairman, and he says, oh, there was a welding issue. And then I called the store, and they said, there's a welding issue in this, could you replace the unit? And they said to me, sir, yeah, yeah, I think they're about nine months back ordered. I wasn't very happy with that. See, it's great that they created this machine, but as long as it's not in good working condition, it's not going to help me very much. Now, God created me for his glory, but then he saw Eric Levier is a sinner. How does he fix that? How does he fix the fact that every day of our lives, we commit sins? We say things we ought not to do. We do things we ought not to, to do. We, we, we think things we ought not to think. We're sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. How did God fix that? Well, he sent Jesus Christ in the flesh, sinless, lived a perfect sinless life, and then shed his blood in payment, in atonement for my sins and for yours. And he, and he invites you to receive his righteousness, to receive his free gift of salvation, free to us, but very expensive to him. So that when we stop trying our, to save ourselves and we accept him alone as our personal savior, he saves us. And not only does he give us eternal life, that's fantastic, but he also gives us meaningful life. When you're God's child, even the most mundane, small things that God gives you to do are filled with significance. 
They're filled with meaning. They're filled with purpose. Even picking up the sticks off the ground and throwing them into the fire, you say, well, that's nothing. Well, not in the eyes of God, because God can use that faithfulness to do something that only he could devise, something that only he could do. Wherever we're placed, we're there to serve God. The famous evangelist D.L. Moody was attending a convention in Indianapolis one day, and the topic of that convention was mass evangelism. They were going to get together and discuss what strategies they could employ or what they could put in place in order to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, D.L. Moody had a singer that that would go with him to all of his crusades, and the singer's name was Ira Sankey. So D.L. Moody said to Ira Sankey, go get yourself a wooden crate, a box. I want you to go to this street corner near the, the church, and I want you to just put the box upside down. You get up on the box and just start singing. And as Sankey was singing, well, people began gathering around to, to listen to the singing, to listen to him sing. And uh, Moody gets there, begins preaching the gospel to them. And then more people came and more people came. Finally, they're starting to block the intersection because there's so many people. So Moody says, let's go back into the auditorium to continue this. And he's preaching the gospel to people in this auditorium when finally the men who were there for the conference on evangelism start entering time for the meeting. And uh, Moody stopped and to make his point said, well, we better stop this because these men have come to discuss how we can reach people for Christ. His point being, just do what you can. You can sing, sing. You can cook, cook. You can pick up sticks, pick up sticks. You can teach a kid's class, teach a kid's class. All those things are equal in the sight of God. All those things are valuable in the sight of God. Perhaps you're a lady and you teach a class, and maybe after years and years of teaching this class, you wonder, is it worth it? Yes, it is. Was it worth it for Svea Flood to open her mouth and lead that boy to Christ? Yes, it was. Perhaps you've worked in, the, you know, in a ministry, perhaps maintenance, uh, perhaps cooking, perhaps, or perhaps you've been going and sharing the gospel with somebody that everyone overlooks. All those things are extremely significant in the eyes of God. And that's, we start there. We start with what we can do. We start with what we can do. Many years ago, I, um, I was asked, and I was in Bible college, if I would go and translate for an evangelist that was going to come up from the States, his goal was to reach the biker, the criminal biker gangs in Montreal. Now, I was a little scared, I'll be honest with you, to go in with him to all of these bunkers and go give the gospel to these hardened criminals. And eventually he came up to the border. They did not allow him to go into Canada, so I didn't have to go translate for him. I'll be honest with you, as much as I wanted them to be saved, I breathed a sigh of relief because I was a little intimidated at that. Fast forward about 20 years. I get this phone call asking me if I'd be interested there in the Montreal region to be a chaplain, part-time chaplain for the prison system, the federal prison system. And uh, at the time, our mission support had dropped a little bit and we could, have, we could use the income, but more importantly, I saw it as an opportunity to preach Christ. So I said, sure, I'll do it. My first posting was at for eight hours a month only at a prison about an hour from Montreal where they put all of the anyone from the mob, anyone from various uh, criminal organizations, they put it all at that jail. 
And sure enough, my first day I arrive there, I'm setting up shop for a Bible study, and 12 men from a criminal biker gang show up around the table for a Bible study. One of them ended up getting saved. But after that, they tra- I went to another one where I was asked to meet with a man, and I won't give you his real name because it's classified, but let's just call him Sebastian. And Sebastian was in this other jail for his own protection because in a, in a trial he had testified against a criminal organization of which he had been a part. Now this man had committed numerable murders on behalf of the criminal organization that he had been a part of. And he had what we call PTSD. I mean, he was shaking. He could never sleep because of the guilt he felt because of the murders that he had committed. And he had gone to the jail psychiatrist, the prison psychiatrist, and she didn't know what to do with him. So she said to him, well, maybe you should go see the preacher. You know, you know things are going bad when the psychiatrist is saying, maybe you need to go talk to a pastor. You know, she's at her wit's end. She didn't know what to do. So he made an appointment with me. And he came in, and he's shaking. And now, if you're in the prison, you have a little pager that you keep uh, that they you have on your belt, and there's a big red button on that thing. And if you press that button, you need to survive for 30 seconds if they're going to attack you. And guards will be there within 30 seconds. So I have this pager. I'm sitting there, and got to witness to him for 60 minutes. He didn't get saved. Came back to see me another time, 60 more minutes, and again he didn't get saved. The third time. After our third Bible study together, Sebastian bowed his head and asked Jesus Christ to be his Savior. He left, came back the next time, and I did not have an appointment with Sebastian. I'm meeting with another inmate. And the door comes open to the chaplaincy office and in barges Sebastian. My finger is going straight for that red button. I am like, what is going on here? He says, stop, no. He says, you know, you, you know that prayer that we prayed the other day? I said, well, I didn't pray. I heard you pray, asked Jesus to save you. He says, I don't know what was in that prayer, but I've been sleeping like a baby ever since. I said, well, what was in that prayer is called the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Now, Sebastian, shortly thereafter, something happened with another inmate, and as was wont to happen when they get into fights, both were dispatched to other prisons elsewhere in Canada overnight, so I never got to see him again. But to me, the irony was, to be honest with you, I didn't want to be at that prison, because that prison is filled with, I won't even name the crimes people commit to be sent to that particular prison, but let's just say that it's things that often are very difficult to listen to. And he was there for his safekeeping, and I didn't really want to go in my flesh. But God sent me there. I didn't do anything special. You could have taken my spot there and did what I did. I didn't do anything special. But God sent me there, and just because I did something that in my mind at the time was rather insignificant, God did something that I could never have done. He did something that only he could do. See, when you're faithful by the grace of God at doing what God gives you to do, you never, ever know what God will do. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, not only does God want to give you eternal life, even before you get to heaven, heaven, he wants to give you abundant life. He wants to give you meaningful life. He wants your Monday to matter as much as your Sunday. He wants your Wednesday 
the day filled with mundane tasks. He wants that day to be a springboard for what you do to matter for him. He wants to be glorified not just in your all, but also in your small. And sometimes you realize that you did something that completely you thought, well, this is just mundane. This is just everyday life stuff. I'm just picking up sticks. And God uses you picking up those sticks for somebody to come to Christ or somebody to be encouraged and come back to church. And as you're faithful, what you can do, God will use it in ways that you could never do, that you could never dream. So let's apply this and I'll be done. What is it that you could do at Bethel Baptist Church that God will give you the opportunity to do? Work with kids. Visit people who are suffering that don't get attention. I'm not saying your church doesn't care about them. I'm sure they do. But in any church, somebody somewhere feels like they're being overlooked. Is it that neighbor that everybody avoids because they're different or maybe they act strange and people just avoid them, but you could befriend them? You could go over there with a meal. Years ago, we were on the New Jersey Turnpike. Pastor and Mrs. Sphere were just in New Jersey. We were on the New Jersey Turnpike on deputation. And if we were at a church like Bethel, for example, we would use your tracts with your church name and hand those out. But if we were between two churches in the middle of nowhere, we had these tracts printed with our family name and phone number and email on them. And we would hand those out as we, as we went. We're in the New Jersey Turnpike, this toll highway in New Jersey. It was about 11.30 at night. And the toll booth attendant, I think he was just happy to have a visitor. You know, we pulled up to the toll booth, and he's been sitting there doing nothing, reading a paperback. And my wife kind of nudged me. She gave me a tract. And as I paid my toll, I just gave him the tract, and we kept on going. The next day, we got an email. And the email said something like, you don't know who I am, but last night you came through the New Jersey Turnpike at 11.30. And he gave me a little piece of paper that talked about Jesus. And I read it, and I want you to know that after I read it, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I want to know if you know of a good church in this. Now, what did I do? Nothing. All I did, honestly, my wife should, humanly speaking, my wife would get more credit. She actually unzipped her purse and pulled out a tract. All I did was just this. I moved my elbow. That's about it. Took no energy. I burned 0.0002 calories doing that. Just gave him a tract. Nothing. And now a man's going to be in heaven. Because of me? Oh, no. No, no, no. I got nothing to do with it. I did the most mundane, simple act, move of the arm. God did all the rest. God moved in his heart. The Lord convicted him, and, and, and so on and so forth. Don't underestimate the importance of just being faithful in the little things. Can you teach a class faithfully? You don't know who's going to get saved in that class. And by the way, whether they become famous or not is irrelevant because Christ cares about every child. What could you do to be a blessing at Bethel Baptist Church that you haven't done yet? Is there something that God wants you to give for the furtherance of the ministry here or somewhere else? You say, well, that's not a big thing. That's rather insignificant. Don't underestimate the importance of just being faithful. And as you're faithful, God will take those small things and make them significant things in his eyes. Not just when you stand before him one day to give an account, but you have no idea what God will do through the small things. I would ask you, that before today is done, you would commit to the Lord, yes, I will do that thing you've been pressing on my heart to do. Yes, I will help at Bethel or 
whatever capacity that God puts before you. I will be involved in things that maybe seem insignificant, but I just want to be faithful. And Lord, I'm trusting you that you're going to take what I do, you're going to take my simple gift, my simple offering, and that I will that you will simply multiply it in a way that goes beyond me and make it have that have an impact on those around me and on eternity. You can, 12, you can lead that 12-year-old boy to Christ. You can pick up those sticks. You can throw them in the fire. You have no idea what God will do. But don't think that one day God will call you to something important. He already has given you something important. Don't think one day he's going to call you to something greater. He's already given you something great. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your patience with me. I thank you for the fact that in spite of the many seasons in my life when I perhaps have missed opportunities, that you've been patient with me. I thank you above all and most of all for the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the fact that though I am a sinner, Christ paid for all my sins and paid for them in full. I thank you for the day where as a child I was given the gospel of Jesus Christ and on that day I was saved. I thank you for the fact that you have given me a life that is worth living, not because I'm anything special, but because you are great and you are worthy. I thank you for using my humble life in ways that go beyond anything that would be in me. I thank you, Father, that you, you allow all of us, you help us to be faithful. And I pray for those today who perhaps have never trusted Christ, that today they would cease to refuse Christ and that they would come to you for, for salvation. I pray for any believer who perhaps has been doubting and wondering if what they do really matters and help us to realize that anything we do for you is great. Anything we do for you matters. Anything we do for you is significant. Thank you for eternal life, and I thank you also for meaningful life, for abundant life, for Christ who is our life. And as we live the Christ life, we are amazed at the things that Christ can do through the simple, menial, menial things of life, but things to your glory and in your power. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.